You're listening to episode 227, Sugar Detox with Michael Collins. Some people make three, four, five, six months, and then they'll disappear for a few months. I'm like, what happened? Anyway, they'll come back and say, just one cookie. I thought I could have one, and that was two months and 20 pounds ago. And so it wow. just, people, some people biochemically can't ingest this stuff. And that's just now being proven by the science. This is the Dance of Life. My name is Tudor Alexander, and we are going to go on a journey to hack your mind, body, and soul for living your best life yet. Tune in every week to learn something new, grow, and get inspired as we discover the secrets of success and practice the art of fulfillment. And if it's one thing I hope you learn from today, it's that your life is a dance. And just like any dance, you can learn to dance it well. What's up, everybody? Happy Friday to you. Welcome to the show. Today is Friday, January 29th, 2021. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. Marianne Williamson. That is the author, not the politician, just in case you're wondering. But I love that quote because creating meaningful change in your life, you know, one of the things, one of the things I've found that we're most afraid of is that it actually works out in your favor. You know, what if it all works out? What if your dream actually comes true? As weird as that sounds, I tend to see this kind of self-sabotage in a lot of people, especially myself as well. I mean, the story of my life is being afraid of your dreams actually coming true, which is, sounds so bizarre, but think about it in your own life. You know, the thing that you've wanted most it's like a lot of times we find all these excuses why it wouldn't work out because deep down inside we're afraid that it might and maybe we don't deserve it or we don't know how to handle that kind of success. You know, all these weird, irrational fears. But all it takes is to realize that you are adequate, that you're taken care of, that life is good, that you have a great future, that you are here to have an amazing life, that life happens for you. This is a custom story ride that you've enrolled in and it is the best story you could ever imagine so long as you pay attention you listen you play with the universe you you follow the clues to your personal legend and you have faith that's all ultimately what it comes down to is just have faith that sounds really cheesy but really that's all we have you know when things can't be proven anymore when we don't have evidence all we really have is our ability to believe and this is the key to success in my book. Today, I have a great guest to share with you who has quite a journey around a difficult obstacle, and that's the power of sugar. I mean, sugar has been a, ever since it got industrial, you're going to learn some great stuff today. We're going to talk about history of sugar a little bit, but you know, for the last hundred years at least, it's been such a big impact on society, on health, on policy, on politics. You name it, sugar is just everywhere. And today's episode is going to share some very powerful information with you because my guest is the founder of Sugar Addiction and the Quit Sugar Summit. He's also a past chairman of the board and the current board member of the Addiction Institute. 
He's been completely sugar-free for 30 years, and he's been in recovery from substance use disorder for over 35 years. He's raised two children sugar-free, all the way up to six years old. Pretty amazing miracle right there. And he's worked closely with many people to help them regain their lives ravaged by sugar and sugar cravings. His name is Michael Collins, and we're going to jump into the impact of sugar short-term and long-term on your health, how to conquer the cravings, you know, why do you get the cravings in the first place, why fruit may not be as innocent as you think it is, even that nasty keto flu and how it may be related to sugar withdrawals. Mike's going to share his story of overcoming sugar addiction, how it changed his life. We're also going to talk about the neurological aspects of sugar cravings. You know, there's a lot of research that compares sugar to a drug, which is pretty scary, and it's very interesting, too. If you want to get in touch with Michael or check out the Quit Sugar Summit, it is quitsugarsummit.com or sugaraddiction.com. You can also get the book that he wrote, which is the Last Resort Sugar Detox Guide. I'm going to put a link for it on the podcast show notes for this episode, danceoflife.com slash podcast. And that is the, like I said, the last resort sugar detox guy. We're going to put a link for that where you can go download it. Just about to jump into this conversation, amazing conversation, so many valuable golden nuggets in this because sugar is such a ubiquitous thing in our life. So super excited to share this with you today. If this teaches you anything or you enjoy this episode, make sure you subscribe Share it with your friends and family, anybody who needs to hear this message today, and I appreciate you for being here. All right, let's do this. Sugar Detox with Michael Collins. One that needs to get out for sure, but some folks are... In marketing, this is a product people want, but they don't, that they need, but they don't necessarily want. <laughs> yeah, I was reading uh, recently, actually, that Coca-Cola was paying big bucks for, this is like, I think, relatively recently, you probably know better than I do, but they were paying a ton of money to basically create research that uh, associated obesity with, or lack of exercise with obesity Right. Instead of sugar, so that you know people would kind of shift their attention away. Oh, yeah, from they it. have a whole institute for the energy, energy something institute or something. Yeah, they yeah. they they fund that kind of research where calories in, calories out. It's all crap, but it's okay. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it's it's so interesting. You know, especially if you read like the history of all these things, how they were. You look back. I mean, fifty whatever, sixty years ago, and how the sugar industry was, you know, just totally. BSing, manipulating everything and, and how people bought it for, you know, mm. up until what, like the nineties, we, people started to turn around. Yeah. I love the history even further back, but I love the history. Really. It's just amazing to me. Yeah. Was there a, I mean, what, I guess what happened before the sugar industry? What, what was significant before that with, was sugar like traded earlier on, like in the 1700s or something or. 1800s? Oh, the best story is the fact that, you know, England, essentially would take empty boats, go to Africa, you know, the West coast of Africa, pick up slaves, go to the Caribbean, trade them for rum and sugar and molasses and sometimes South American and and the Americas and come back to England and grew the largest empire in the world, literally took over the world from India to 
the Southeast Asia, everywhere, right? Every yeah. island, South Africa, everywhere because of the money that they made. And people went from five pounds to a hundred pounds in about a hundred years between 1600s and 1800s, you know? Wow. That's interesting. And it was, you know, El Chapo had nothing on that drug cartel. I mean, it's just <laughs> like crazy, crazy. I love it too. I mean, I never can show people how to get out of this thing. Shall we show them how we got in? Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, we had a reverse history a little bit and now all the science is piling up. So it's good. Well, it's interesting because I think even in the Egyptian culture, they were finding, you know, this evidence of cancer, but really where they found cancer was where, wherever there was like all this uh, availability of, of things that you normally wouldn't be eating a lot, you know, like, Right. I don't know. Like a lot of sugar obviously would be one of them just because they could afford it and they could do whatever they wanted. So it's interesting that it's been around for generations, hundreds, thousands of years. Yeah. Only the wealthy in England in the early days, kings and queens and the nobles were able to get it uh, in any quantity. They use it as a, like a snuff box or a little taste. And so that really wasn't much until, until basically slave, the slave trade. Hmm. So then the, the labor was so cheap, they were able to, and that's where the explosion happened. And then forget about, like you said, the, you know, the eighties and high fructose corn syrup and the Ansel Keys and John Ludkin debates, oh, yeah, yeah. those things, you know, it was just like, oh man, it was just how we got hoodwinked is really kind of sad to be honest with you. The whole, I remember, yeah. the, whole the whole world got hoodwinked. The whole Ansel Keys study with, um, what did he study? He was like the different, uh, he's like a bunch of different countries, but it was just totally bonkers. I, I totally forgot now, but I wrote about it at some point in the past. Well, Ansel Keys is the guy who like um, was saying fat was bad for you. Right. And yeah. then, and that sugar was fine and sugar is, you know, normal, clean calories, just, you know, a little empty calories, not a big deal. And so everybody got petrified of fat. After Ike, uh, President Eisenhower got a, had a heart attack and Walter Mondale That's thing, right. and Ansel Keys was on his ascension. So they just fell for the whole line of thing, hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> you know, the food pyramid, yeah. everybody fell for it. And so grains. And he died of, of a heart attack, heart disease anyway, right? Eisenhower. I think he did eventually. Yeah, yeah. But he yeah, had a heart attack in office. The only, I think one of the only, or if not the only president to have that happen. So. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. The things that we that we evolve in how we think about things. It's so, I know, so fascinating. I know. I know. It's crazy. Well, you've been sugar free for 30. I mean, that's impressive. 30 years. So no sugar at all, like not even fruit or anything? I quit fruit about um, well, and do have occasional piece, but I, I quit fruit mostly about three years ago when I started to yeah. learn more about it. And more about mm. the fructose and the grains. I quit grains three years ago too, rice and all that kind of stuff. So I've been off flour, sugar, and caffeine for thirty years. The white powdered stuff. Yeah. But the others, the, the other stuff, not so much. You know. Well, got you. I mean, you you've got a lot of things you've created with you know sugaraddiction.com, the Quit Sugar Summit. What got you to doing all of that? I mean, what happened thirty years ago? Was it earlier than thirty years ago that you kind of saw? Maybe this might be your path, or how did you get on what you're doing now? Yeah, I got sober about 35 years ago. It'll be 36 in February. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, and I was just trying to be healthy, really. And uh, 
So I read a book called Sugar Blues and Sugar Blues was, uh, it was promoted pretty heavily in the late seventies, early eighties is revised in the eighties. And the guy that wrote it was eventually married to Gloria Swanson, the, the famous movie star. Right. And they went around oh, wow. and promoted that book. And that's happened a couple of times in history. It happened during, uh, there's a book that came out in the nineties called uh, Sugar Busters around the, the Ghostbusters theme and that kind of thing. But my, you know, when I read Sugar Sugar Blues, they talked about that history lesson that I told you about with the uh, the slaves and stuff. Yeah. And the whole thing fascinated me. And so I started researching. There was almost no research out there. And somehow I talked my wife at the time into having two children with no flour, no sugar in the womb, no caffeine in the womb. And, <laughs> and until they were six years old, they were twins. And That's an achievement, man. I don't even know how you could do that. <laughs> it was crazy wild, man. We fought everybody, the grandparents, you know, just everybody. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's been. Uh, and so I didn't really I went on to have a regular business in life and career and stuff and about 10 years ago, I bought the domain. My kids always said, yeah, you should write a book about sugar. <laughs> okay. And so, you know, I, I've always had it in my mind, but I didn't start helping folks till about 10 years ago. And then about three years ago, I really cranked it up. So, you know, that's really when the, the challenges and the, you know, the, all that kind of stuff happens. So. What happened three years ago? Cause that's also when you quit uh, fruit and and grains yeah, too, right? Well, I, I basically got involved with a place called the Food Addiction Institute. I was the chairman mm -hmm. uh, two years ago, and I'm still on the board. But, uh, you know, I learned more about late-stage food addiction and that kind of stuff. But moreover, three years ago, I started to, instead of disseminate information, bring people together in groups, right, so that people were, um, they had a tribe, a support system. And that's what worked. I mean, I disseminated great information for seven years and some people had helped and worked and it wasn't full time then either. It was part time. But three years ago, you know, with the Food Addiction Institute and the summit started five years ago. Um, so, you know, just kind of a combination of things. And I really got into it. Now I'm pretty I'm, I'm deep, deep into it. Now you're in it. <laughs> yeah, now I'm way into it. What is what is food addiction? I mean, are we talking psychological here or, or kind of chemical kind of, or both, I guess? You know, it's a fair question and it's a good question. And the bottom line is, is that at the Food Addiction Institute, we're trying to, um, we're trying to get it named into the DSM-5 or 6, six mm. excuse me, the newest one. And we're trying to get it named as a substance use disorder, basically a wow. chemical, okay. biochemical addiction. Uh, like drugs and alcohol. I mean, it kind of sort of loosely now falls under uh, eating disorders for treatment. It's very hard to bill for, very hard to get insurance for treatment, that kind of stuff. But moreover, for me, I'm kind of on the harm reduction side. I'm really trying to expand with the summit and that kind of stuff. I'm trying to expand uh, folks reducing sugar. And if they have late stage issues, then I know where to refer them or, you know, we can work with them a little at sugar addiction too, but um, trying to get it larger, you know, so that people, you know, I just interviewed this guy, the founder of, of Sugar, uh, sugar Proof. Um, he came out with a book that uh, basically tells about, you know, sugar in kids. And that, that really is one of my passions. Mm -hmm after my own story. So yeah, I'm just trying to um, get the get the message out. 
And sugar addiction, you know, what is it? What is food addiction? What is processed food addiction? I believe it's a biochemical reaction to these psychoactive substances. Bottom line, it's not mm. it's not a process addiction like uh, binge eating or whatever. Once you have these products in your, for some people, about a third of people, what, you know, like some people can drink alcohol regular, just normal, no problem. But some, when yeah. they drink, you know, it causes a biochemical reaction. They want more and that ends badly. And for sugar, because mm. it doesn't kill you, like, or you can't get in a car, you don't usually get in a car accident or whatever. It decimates your body and your mind over decades. And that's why people aren't quitting now. They're, they're, it's hard for you to realize that if you don't quit, you probably have diabetes like your mom. And so that kind of stuff is, is you know, slowly mm. creeping into the awareness. So, yeah. How do you, how do you work with kids that are you know, this is good, a very interesting topic because especially as a parent, I mean, I'm not a parent, but uh, I have tutored a lot. I've worked a lot with kids, young kids. And, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into quote unquote parenting them. I mean, you, you school and friends and, you know, everything else mm. and cafeteria. So how as a parent, I mean, how did you <laughs> raise your kids six years at least without yeah, no, any so, sugar? Yeah. And how do you... We have to break it into two things, two two segments, and that's the people who who and these are very small still um, people who never had sugar. Children have never had sugar as far back as they can in the womb if they can, um, because it, uh, talking to Dr. Gorn, I mean, it definitely passes the placental barrier. It's in the breast milk, yeah. and studies have proven that it does affect their a lot of things in their body, from the brain to their liver. Uh, a lot of things in their body and for the propensity for obesity later in life. The, he's been funded for $50 million over 30 years in studying children, childhood obesity. And it's true. You know, that's exactly wow. what's happening. Um, and then there's a group like my kids, they didn't have any idea what sugar was. And I believe that, you know, you don't have to, you're the one that buying the food. They, they're not going to the grocery store at four and five and six years old or younger. You know, you bring, you bring them the food. And my kids, have, they didn't know what it was. Like they would play in the grocery store. The You know, you see the kids screaming for the candy out of the cart. This is like they would play. Mm -hmm. They thought it was blocks. They thought it was colored blocks. They had no idea what it was. And so you just that that's the first thing. The second one, if they've had sugar and they're less than 10 or 11 years old, you can do it, but you have to be honest and you have to go first. You have to put your own oxygen mask on first. You have to be the person who, you know, your kids are smart. They're going to know if you got a stash. They're going to know if you're, you know, they're going to know there's wrappers in the, in the garbage. They know. So you have to really lead the way in this. And we have a coach uh, who has a daughter. The coach's grand or the kid's grandmother, the, the coach's mother owns a bakery, right? And she's still not on board with this. Wow. She still brings crap over and stuff. But she's been very successful with her nine-year-old to get her. Um, she's now like a little advocate, you know, like she'll come home from a birthday party. She says, mommy, I got a tummy ache. And she'll say, they'll say, she says, I know it was the sugar, mommy. I won't do it next time. That kind of thing. So it does, you know, it takes time, but it's a little harder than starting them out with no sugar. Hmm. What do you think was the, uh, one of the hardest things for you? to do with this whole journey? I mean, I guess you could answer that in terms of yourself or maybe with your kids. What was one of the hardest things that you experienced? I think it's with both. It's the socialization part. 
It's the lack of acceptance mm. of, you know, you quit drinking. Yeah, good job. You quit smoking. Yeah, no, all right. You quit yeah. using sugar. You're like, what? Moderation. You can have a little. How can you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. How, you know, whatever. But so look, uh, some people can't. And this we've proven over a decade and with thousands, literally thousands of people. Um, you know, we got six, 7,000 almost people in a Facebook group that have taken our challenges. And some people cannot ingest sugar without wanting cravings and continuing. Some people make three, four, five, six months, and then they'll disappear for a few months. I'm like, what happened? Anyway, they'll come back and say, just one cookie. I thought I could have one. And that was two months and 20 pounds ago. And so it wow. just, people, some people biochemically can ingest the stuff. And that's just now being proven by the science. Hmm. Is it yeah. like a gene issue? Like what's actually the, the mechanic behind it? I guess. That we I know. think, I think what it is, is that, that you know, Rodney Dangerfield, the comedian, sugar gets no respect, you know, sugar gets no respect as a yeah. psychoactive <laughs> drug, right? They don't, it doesn't, but if you were to talk to someone who's lost two or 300 pounds and fallen to a right-sized body, and now um, they literally went through the same emotional uh, readjustments and, and emotional growth, emotional change processes that people that recover from drugs and alcohol do. It's a very well-known construct in the drug and alcohol world that if you started using drugs at 14, 15, or 16, that's when you stop growing emotionally, right? You, you stop mm. using other techniques like asking a friend, going for a walk, you know, emotional management techniques that take effort and time and care and grace, mm. uh, prayer, meditation, whatever it is, you stop using these and you used a simple substance. Now think about going back to probably in the womb, but at least when you were a baby, when your mother, instead of getting down on your level when you're crying to, you know, because she was busy with the other kids or whatever, she hands you a cookie and sends you off to the TV, right? So you learn to equate mm. the use of this substance with love, with um, um, stopping bad feelings, uh, accentuating good feelings. It becomes an emotional management tool that you use uh, pretty uh, liberally simply because it's ubiquitous and damn near free. You can have, you can access sugar. You don't have to rob a bank. You can access sugar almost free anywhere, anytime. And so a habit develops. Hmm. And now 75, 80% of the food in the grocery store, packaged food has sugar in it anyway. And so we have a whole society oh, yeah. that is unconsciously managing, manipulating their dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, even their adrenals. I mean, it's kind of crazy, really. Um, the science in the last five years has exploded around brain chemical and brain reward systems. And we know for a fact that if you slide you into an MRI machine and put you know, a straw in your mouth and you suck a sweetened beverage, sugar-sweetened beverage, the exact same stuff that lights up in your brain when you're using alcohol and drugs lights up when you use sugar. The difference here is that this is dose dependent, right? You use a little heroin, you lose a little alcohol, yeah. a little sugar, little uh, whatever pot, whatever it is. But when you're talking sugar, you're talking 20 teaspoons average per day. That's average. Now, somebody's got a big habit, 30, wow. maybe 40. That's before flour. So add another double. So 40, 50 teaspoons of white powder that, you know, got to process through your body. 
that gives a biochemical reaction in your nucleus accumbens and all your brain reward chemicals. And look, you got a problem, you know, and people never see that part. They see that they get fat. They see that they get diabetes. They see what the glucose molecule and the insulin resistance does, but they don't see what the, um, you know, the fructose does to the brain reward chemicals. Sorry, I went off on a little tear, but it's like, that's kind no, that's of, good. that's the part that people aren't paying much attention to. You know, they're not, like people can get off the stuff for 30 days, 60 days, they whatever, like two weeks, they can grit their teeth and bear it and, you know, go through it. But they almost always fall back and the science proves this. Every study of any person who's lost a large amount of weight all gain it back in the first 90 plus percent, 95 plus percent, gain it all back in the first year. And that's simply because mm. they didn't really arrest their sugar addiction or their flour addiction, the processed food addiction. What they did is they quit it for a little bit, you know? So, yeah, yeah it's a. But how, yeah. how do they, because that's a really good point. I mean, which is ultimately you have to get to the point where you don't crave those things anymore, where you create a habit and lifestyle and, and realign your gut microbiome and all these things that are part of, you know, the cravings that you get. I mean, I remember I used to crave, I'm relatively healthy, but even, you know, like a year or two ago before I got really crazy, I mean, I would crave fried food. I'd see stuff, you know, uh, whatever, yeah. just like fried chicken and stuff. Oh my God, let me go have some of that. And now, I mean, I don't even crave it, you know? Yeah. So at the time, you know, I would crave it and say to myself like, okay, no, I'm not going to get it because it's not part of my diet or whatever. But now it's like, I don't even have to think about that because it doesn't really appeal to me. And I think that to get to that point where your body naturally just wants the healthy stuff, there's certain important things that people don't realize that aren't really part of mainstream information. So right. uh, what's your, what's been your experience with basically getting to the point where because at some point, you, you know, in the beginning, you you have to kind of use your mind to create rules for yourself, obviously, and have some level of discipline. But there there is sort of a restructuring, right, within your body that you have 100%. to create through good, yep. you know, habits and, you know, whatever, gut microbiome, all those things. But what's been your experience with that? How do you get to the, to, to the point of not craving sugar in the first place? <laughs> yeah, no, you're nailing it right on the head. And that's the, the you know, you can't you don't want to live a lifestyle where you're craving all the time. And what we find yeah. is that if, if you are in that one third of folks who have a biochemical reaction, the biochemical reaction is craving. It, once you ingest, it, it sets up necessity or desire for more. And it takes 30, 60, 90 solid days of abstinence before you can even see the other side. And that's just to see it. You're still over the first year or more maybe going to have the mental draw, you're going to have that muscle memory of remembering what that, I think sugar is the perfect drug. It just, you know, cure, kills the anxiety just a little, all is right with the world. It makes you feel nice and mellow because it's activating the same thing that all the, the you know, the psychotropics of the SSRIs and do, which is the dopamine and serotonin is trying, and it makes you nice and level. Problem is, is 20 minutes mm. later, when you get to be an adult, you want another hit. You know, you, you need more, yeah. right? And so the cravings are are, are uh, exacerbated and, and continue to just bother you all the time. You're, you know, you're, you're really honest. I don't like to be like overkill, but 
your brain has been hijacked. You're not capable, literally not capable of making wise decisions around food, right? Because you, mm. you have a primordial lizard brain that wants a dopamine hit. Okay. And you've been figured, you've figured out a way or society or evolutionarily uh, as we figured out a way to manually manip manipulate dopamine, which normally would take a five mile walk to get food. That's how the system was created. You know, it, it, you yeah. know, whatever, a sunset, a hug, that's why it was created so that you would feel good. It evolved to that. Now we can pin laser pinpoint that thing. Well, not laser because throwing inflammation around the whole body, but you know, and, and you can get that dopamine, that little squirt of dopamine that makes you feel just that much better. And when you let mm -hmm. go of that, you don't have cravings because life would suck if you had to be still always craving and 90% of plus people never get to that place because they don't go 100% abstinence for a given period of time. And, and the folks that have really, like I say, lost two and 300 pounds that we know uh, that have worked with us, those folks, they've, they, it's not an event. It just doesn't, you know, you don't just snap out and that's it. I'm done. They go in and out, in and out, in and out. They like, they try it. They, they say, oh, I can have just a little. I and mean, everybody wants to have just a little. And I, I feel for them. You know, I really, um, you know, they always ask the question after a month or two, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? Sometimes <laughs> you do. Sometimes you do. Now I have, People on the summit, friends of mine over the years who are high, high level sugar educators who occasionally enjoy it, like a martini, they enjoy one beverage on their birthday or one um, piece of pie on their birthday or whatever. So yeah, you can eventually, yeah. but until you bust the habit, you're going to have the cravings. Hmm. Yeah. You mentioned a couple things that I want to touch on, which I think are really important. One of them was inflammation. Yeah. So what is the impact of sugar on inflammation in the body? I mean, it just inflames everything. I mean, uh, Dr. Gordon was telling me today that sugar shrinks the brain. This, this science is very well proven. Like they, they have long-term studies shrinks the brain. Well, think about that one just for a minute, you know, and joints, people always talking hands, and knees, hands and knees. Hmm. My poor mom probably died of sugar addiction. Her hands were so deformed, she called her own hands monster hands because the knuckles were side, wow. you know, fingers were sideways, everything was just, and you know, you see that level of arthritis. All that from sugar? <laughs> yeah, I believe it because, you know. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's like, the knee operations, the knee joints, the, you know, the creation of uric acid, it just destroys them, you know, and the inflammation mm. all over the body. It's just really harsh on the body. And everybody knows about the insulin spikes and the, meta I don't know how much you know about, of course you do, but metabolic syndrome and all of that, yeah. uh, that all the keto folks are always talking about. And so, you know, it's just everywhere in the body. It, it just, it's pervasive in every, from the brain to the joints and the microbiome. You is, know. There a, oh, is there a relationship between the keto flu that people experience and sugar withdrawals? Oh, it is sugar withdrawals. It, it is sugar withdrawals. It is That's sugar what, withdrawals. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Interesting evolution. It's a hmm. cool story, actually. So when the keto thing started happening, we were, you know, we were obviously in full swing by then. 
you would go to these keto events or whatever, and you would hear all these people talking about, um, uh, you know, the keto diet and blah, blah, blah. And no, not too much about the keto flu, a little bit. And then all of a sudden, in the last two or three years, at least two or three of the people that share those stages today are addiction specialists, food addiction specialists, because people, and I've had a lot of these people, um, they can do everything in the keto diet. They can be pretty successful just by uh, eliminating their, you know, as much as flours as they can, bread and pasta and all that kind of stuff and sugar as much as they can, but they just couldn't stay off. They, they always ended up going back uh, or falling back on either a cheat day and all of the crap that is quote unquote keto snacks, you know, that's just the worst yeah. for you. That's just the worst for you. And so, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I'm not convinced about the keto thing. I mean, there's some principles that are good, but. Right. I'm not 100% convinced about it. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's an evolutionary thing. I mean, for me, uh, we have coaches that are vegetarian. We have coaches that are keto. We, we're Switzerland. We don't name a diet as long as you're off the white, yeah. I call it white powder addiction. As long as you're off the white powders, flour, sugar, yeah. caffeine, <laughs> then, then you're, you can eat whatever you want. You know, I find yeah. though, personally, that I wasn't able to eat uh, fruits and grains. Uh, I had bleeding gums my whole life. I had adult acne in my fifties. I had, my hair was falling out. I lost a couple of teeth, you know, all that went away. Literally all that went away as soon as I stopped with that. Cause I had, I ate a lot of grains. I, I ate a lot of brown rice, wow. oat, oats, a lot of fruit, even fruit juices. And, but I was flour, sugar and caffeine free. But when I looked at that, when all that stuff stopped, I was convinced, you know, that was a one and one experiment. What, what was the relationship? I mean, I know so, gluten, gluten is terrible, but what's the relationship with the other ones? It's the, that all that stuff turns to sugar in your stomach, basically. And, mm. and you know what a CGM is? A, a continuous glucose monitor. So yeah. a continuous glucose monitor is a little patch you wear on your, like a nicotine patch, right? It's got a little tiny pin in it, but it just goes down a little bit. And you can literally on your phone, you can watch your insulin, your the insulin spikes when you eat a banana, when you drink an orange juice, uh, when you eat white mm -hmm. rice or brown rice, you can see it. And when it goes that far out of range, I think the world changes when, you know, Amazon and Google, and, uh, Google are working on Fitbits, like that are non-invasive that can measure this, right? Because people can't see what's going yeah. on on the inside, but it's those glucose spikes that, you know, 20 minutes after you eat oats or rice or something, it's sugar and spiking your insulin yeah. right? and causing all of the problems that that causes. So. That's the difference, you know. It doesn't have fructose in it. That's a, a positive, but it does, you know, spike the, the spike the glucose pretty heavy. Well, I know I personally don't eat brown rice that much because of the arsenic. I eat some white rice, but I usually refrigerate it after I cook it to make some resistant starch. So that's kind of a little better. But um, yeah, I'm really I was really curious to see what your take on it was. So do you not eat, uh, like, what do you eat for carbs or do you not eat carbs? Do you like keto? Uh, I eat a lot of greens. I call it high green keto. Um, high I green eat, keto. Yeah. I eat a lot, a lot of greens. Um, 
Brussels sprouts. Do you eat yams and stuff? Any yams or like uh, that'll throw me. Or that'll throw me a little. <laughs> that, that'll throw me a little. Yeah. The, the what do you feel? Vegetables. I mean, when you eat something like that, that's a little more uh, starchy. Like, what do you do? You feel just I literally sluggish? have. A, you... I, I feel a little sluggish, and I and I have to go to sleep, and I and I have a little hangover the next day. Like I wow. drank a couple of beers or something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. I mean, sugar is such a. I like what you said though about the uh, continuous glucose monitor. I was reading about that too. How they're getting some research now where you can just, they can use a laser and see what your uh, blood sugar is, which is, I mean, that's Loving amazing that. if that'll happen. Yeah, that, soon. That's going to happen. Yeah. That, that's what I think Amazon and Google are working on. Yeah. That I was talking to a guy uh, recently, actually another similar device that also pretty life-changing is a, uh, they're supposed to come out with it in March or May of 2021, but the, it's like basically this little cortisol monitor where you mm-hmm. spit into it and it hooks up to your phone and you know, you, you can measure your cortisol whenever you want. So we'll see how accurate it is, but nice. you know, compared to the standard, you know, option of going to the lab and just waiting two weeks or whatever it is, it's just, uh, yeah. I think having that feedback is so important, giving people the, the ability to see what's actually happening. Like you said, what's happening inside of you mm-hmm. with the testing. I like the yeah. biohacking stuff. It's cool. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm, a I'm coming out with a, bit. A, book, a huge, huge book. Well, actually, by the time this interview will be out, it'll already be out. But it's like 1,500 scientific references of all the crazy crap I've done over the years, and just yeah, it's it's yeah, yeah. I'll send you a copy. It's uh, I think you really like it. <laughs> I really like that. I'm I'm the same way. I'm so fascinated by the human body and the response to the human body. It's how it's I crazy. got here. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I just am, I'm fascinated to no end. And I'm willing, hey, I use my own children as an experiment. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't figure out. Hey, why not? Come on. They're legally yours. So it's Yeah. Fine. I couldn't figure out like a so I'm going to go to a doctor and he's going to warn me against that I should give them sugar. I didn't think that was ever going to happen. So I figured it was safe. I mean, you kind of have to really take control of your health today because, and I think that's the direction healthcare is moving because everything is becoming more about empowering the individual. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's sure. not about the establishment anymore. It's all about you as the individual, you know, having all the tools available and just customizing your life, which, um, uh, it's very, mm-hmm. very interesting, but also it's a practice, you know, with the whole thing that you mentioned earlier with the ups and downs that people are experiencing. I think that a lot of people don't get, I call it the unsexy personal growth answer, but it's, you know, practice. <laughs> that's the, that's the, the real answer is everything is a practice. It's not like a destination or some, you know, one hack to lose 20 pounds or whatever it is. It's, it's really a practice mm-hmm. of monitoring yourself, making good decisions, understanding how to deal with changes, you know, all that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's that it's not an event. It definitely is a process. You mentioned fructose. I'm really, I've read some stuff about it and I know I I have like one piece of fruit per day max. That's my rule. I don't have any more than that, but, uh, and I certainly don't crave any more than that, but, um, what is, you know, let's, let's get a little more about that. Cause I don't think a lot of people realize, I think people lump tend to lump fruits with vegetables, which you shouldn't do because they're totally different. 
Mm. Um, and certainly the USDA kind of is to blame for that because these are fruits and vegetables, but they're really not the same. I mean, fruits are still candy practically. So what is fructose and why is that important for people to know and to limit it? I'm so happy you're asking that question because it's the focus of a lot of our work and my recent fascinations in that um, just for your audience, uh, uh, a table, sh- mo- table sugar molecule is half fructose, half glucose. But, and this is a big but, this is a processed product. This is reduced to a white powder or a, gra- or a you know, crystal, whatever. But when you look at fruit, there's a great video on uh, YouTube with Dr. Gary Fetke, F-E-T-T-K-E, from Tasmania, an orthopedic surgeon, got tired of chopping people's feet off with diabetes and started to talk about this type of diet. Um, and he, they tried to take his license from him and he survived that onslaught, but he's a cool guy. The bottom line is for three, same story almost as the sugar, but for 300 years, we have been hybridizing fruit to be gigantic fructose bombs. Mm. Forget about like juice, like, cause if you drink an orange juice, it's the same as it hits the liver, the fructose part of it hits the liver exactly like uh, uh, a Coca-Cola would, exactly. Mm. The fructose part, right? And the only place that the fructose can be processed in the body is in the liver. And it causes fatty liver disease. Now, there are children now with fatty liver disease. We have an epidemic wow. of children, five, six, seven and older uh, that have fatty liver. And this is an alcoholics disease. They do not drink. And that's That's crazy from the fructose. And the body can evolutionarily, it was a very uh, good thing because a banana was such a giant seed pod. There were so many seeds in it. You couldn't even eat it because, you know, but the animals would, you know, clean the tree when it was ripe, when it was ripe once a year, and then disseminate the seeds, right? And once a year, we're supposed to get a little fructose and it didn't really harm anything. And I think it, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think it has a psychoactive component on the nucleus accumbens um, that keeps you coming back for it, that you are, you know, trying, you know, we're programmed for sweetness. Breast milk is a little bit sweet. You know, it, you're, we're programmed for sweetness. There's no, um, nothing that's uh, poisonous that has fructose in it. So we are programmed to try and eat it. And, mm. but we are not programmed to try and eat a hybridized navel orange that's gigantic like this. Yeah. I mean, the thing has no seeds in it. How would it propagate in nature? It is essentially a processed food, you know, and mm. it's processed and, and hybridized for sweetness, for fructose. And back in the day, Dr. Fecky says it used to be the green grocer. You probably may even remember this. It used to be the green grocer. And some beautiful marketing technique somehow intertwined these to be fruits and veggies, right? Fruits and vegetables. And so, you know, it's just, and this I get a lot of pushback on. So because the myths are so strong that fruits are good for you. And it's not to say that, you know, a little bit of fruit is going to kill you in any way, shape or form. But what we find in the early days of trying to get off the white powdered uh, fructose and sugar and flour and stuff is that large amounts of fruit will continue the cravings. Mm. And if you go abstinent of the fruit, See, I always ask people one thing. I ask you, look, just give yourself the gift of 30 days, 60 days, or 90. Prefer 90, but if you can get 30 or 60, that's cool. And then have 
an orange, then have a banana, then have an apple and see how you feel because mm. then you get a real test. And if the cravings get set up again and you start craving more fruit or craving some more sugar, then you know, right? But almost no one in today's society has even spent one day without sugar, not one mm. day in, in, in the process. Yeah, that's, stuff. that's probably true. Wow. I didn't even think about that. That's crazy. Yeah, not even one day. So no one, by the time we get to be our age, by the time you get to be an adult, you're not like getting that high buzz you see at the children's birthday party. What you're getting is you're just stopping. You're just fighting off withdrawals. That's it. Mm. You don't have time to have a headache. You don't have time to be anxious. You don't have time to be sleepy. You don't have time to be hungry all the time. Uh, irritable, nasty, you know, all the kind of things that go with uh, withdrawals. You just need to take a little bit and put it off till tomorrow. Take a little bit, put it off till tomorrow. And then the tomorrow never comes, you know? Mm. So, yeah. Is the fatty liver that the, uh, for the kids, is that from all the high fructose corn syrup? That's correct. Been... Correct. hundred yep. percent. Yeah. I remember the, um, seeing a chart of when that was introduced into whatever the market and correlating it with a chart of obesity. <laughs> they were practically like the same. I uh, you're so it's so I use that line all the time. You're a hundred percent right that it's it's both of them. They run parallel right up and to the right, right? And say so look yeah. at a graph, like when you're looking at a graph, it, they're they're running identical. They're like they're like kissing cousins all the way to the 2020s. It's crazy. Know? Yeah, yeah, no, it's so amazing. And what it's about- like it's not like cause causation, it's not proof. But damn, that's a coincidence, right? Uh, it's enough of a coincidence for me, that's for sure. <laughs> me too, me too. What about artificial sweeteners like Splenda and um, I don't know, yeah. I don't even use them, but, you know, the artificial ones. Yeah, another one. I, I It's like, I'm so happy. Answer in a box. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so happy to be on uh, someone who's uh, open-minded about this because we do, this. this story takes about a podcast in length to discuss it. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, to answer the question, when the body, when the brain is still seeking sweets and you give it these whatever chemical experiments that they call sweeteners and you give it to your body continues to crave sweets and just a short seven days, 10 days, maybe of no sweets, zero sweets, and you will totally reset your sweetness uh, desires. I don't know if you ever heard this term, but there's something called the bliss point. You ever hear that? Mm, so no. so the, the bliss point is literally scientists on the other side of the fence if you will, in the food industry are trying to manufacture the taste of a product so that it is universal for most people. Mm. Some people would think this is too sweet. It's syrupy sweet. I don't like it. This is not sweet enough. Interesting. Uh, and the bliss point is the one that they can mass produce that almost everyone likes. It's like the right? top of that bell curve where everybody, the majority 100%. will like it. Yeah. Okay. 100%. That's exactly right. And so what the, you know, the, uh, uh, what we were talking about there, the fructose and the, and the sweetness of the, of the, uh, of the artificial sweeteners, what happens is if you're continually stimulating the brain with, for sweetness, you, you, you never get where you're going to try and reduce mm. the cravings. But if you go eliminate just 10, 12, you know, 30 days, whatever you can do, 
you will find that something of your old treats, one of the things you used to like, will will be too sweet for you. Mm-hmm. And so it just happens that fast, your taste buds. So the goal, and this is aside from what the physical long-term effects of these things are. No one knows. I mean, they've taken a bunch of them off the market for birth defects. And so there's a, that, that's not good stuff, put it that way. Um, and But the, the bottom line is you're trying to reset your sweetness quotient. Pretty soon, peppers will taste sweet. Carrots will definitely taste sweet. You know, things that didn't have a sweet flavor to them before now taste sweet to you. Well, it's really just getting resensitized. I mean, people are just so desensitized, I think, in general to everything that your ability to live a sensual life and to to taste, right? Mm. I mean, to taste anything just goes out the window because you just get that hit, uh, that high hit through sugar. And so, like you said, everything that normally is sweet, like a pepper uh, or a carrot, just kind of disappears. Which is Yeah, it's not, you know... You're, you're just, and that's kind of, the, isn't it? The, uh, the thing about addiction is just, you want more. There's no, yeah. there's no love of the taste or whatever. You know, you just want more. That's what, how your body sets it up. What about like uh, stevia or xylitol or monk fruit extracts? Some of these that are natural, but they don't have calories. I mean. Yeah. Nah, I'm not a big no. fan simply <laughs> because. They do exactly what I say. They keep you thinking yeah. about sweets. You put it in your whatever you're trying. You can't you can't try and keep recreating things that you used to make sweet, not sweet. If you want to if you want to make this a lifestyle, uh, if you want to fall to a right size body, if you want to get the brain fog cleared up, if you want to get the skin cleared up, if you want to get the you know all that kind of weight cleared up, you got to try it uh, and then. I have never, and this is true, and I, I'm, chill, I'm still looking for the use case that makes me wrong, but no one that I've ever worked with who got out full leaf to 90 straight days with no sugar, no flour, no sweeteners, uh, very little fruit, maybe some berries, ever goes back to that lifestyle. Mm. Now, occasionally people will fall off, but we have so effectively screwed up their use their sugar use that they will come they do come back eventually so it's you know it's hard i mean it really is difficult to to be this anti-candy man to be this anti-sugar man in a society <laughs> you're where, ruining everybody's fun you know and i if it wasn't for the kids uh the obese kids and uh dr gordon was telling me today like you don't have to be an obese kid. You can have a lot of problems as a thin kid if you're yeah. eating a lot of sugar. So, Now, I'll never forget. I mean, this was, gosh, over a decade ago. But now more than that, I was barely in college and I was tutoring some elementary school kids. And I'll never forget, like I was tutoring this girl. She was probably, I don't know, fourth grade or something like that. And, uh, you know, so she she shows up, it was like break time or whatever it is, you know, the break that you have. And she pulls out this bag and it was like, you know, it was, I don't know what the size was, but it was, you know, about the size of my head and which is pretty big. <laughs> and uh, it, it was just this bag of like these noodle, like, uh, I don't know, candy noodles, candy worms or something like that, you know? And I'm like, well, what's that? She's like, Oh, that's my, you know, that's my lunch or my, whatever, you know, my dinner. And it was just, I'm like, my, and I wasn't super into biohacking at the time, but I was enough into nutrition. I'm like, you weigh 
you know, 50 pounds or whatever you weigh and you're having, you know, like 200 grams of sugar probably in, in this serving, which is just insane. I mean, the impact, the impact on your body must be just unreal, you know, and it's sad that that's not really like a, a, a unique scenario. I mean, there's so many kids that, right. you know, they're just, you see them, they're obese or they have diseases like diabetes and stuff that they shouldn't have, which is like, Oh my gosh. I mean, crazy. It's just mind blowing. Yeah. It's hard. And you know, kids are hard. I mean, they, they don't know, and, you know, when you, when you grow up overweight, it, I didn't, but I know, well, back when I did, there weren't that many, but when, nowadays, you know, the kids are kind of mean to them and, and it yeah. hurts their self-esteem. And, and uh, like I said before, they don't have, that's not their responsibility to be fed. Their responsibility is with the parent. So uh, again, it's a, it's a societal issue, but um, you know, we've got to, Look, I, look at on a, on a, I'm not, I'm a, like, not a policy guy. I, I'm kind of a grassroots, you know, help people up as best I can and try and be ready whenever the tipping point comes, whenever, like, the right administration comes in or the right awareness comes in or the litigation begins to, to the food and sugar industries or whatever yeah. happens. But the Canadian and the Great Britain, the Europe, uh, uh, England, English, social medicine systems will not survive this for 20 or 30 more years. They just, yeah. they cannot, the weight of metabolic syndrome and all of the constellation of illnesses that or diabetes and Alzheimer's and everything that circles around that uh, you, you're not, they're not, they're not going to survive. And even maybe the American insurance system may not survive because it's just, you know, it's too much. It, the, the, Dr. Lustig, I don't know if you know the name Robert Lustig, but says this is a processed food is a ex human experiment that has failed. It's time to call it. It's over. Mm. You know, we cannot. And I don't know if you like the history of know this story, but in World War II, they invented an industry to build K rations for the troops, which are canned things that they could be portable and take with them. Well, when the war ended, these guys had nothing to do. So it evolved into the processed food industry, mm, evolved into, you know, Betty Crocker and all of these things that, um, and Kellogg's was already going uh, from years before, but it just kept perpetuating. And then the, you know, back when I was young, they didn't really have, the sugar wasn't in everything. I mean, it certainly wasn't in ketchup for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, now it's in there as a, well, it goes back to that thing we we're talking about with Ansel Keys and stuff. It's like they took out the fat. So they had, when you take out the fat, it tastes like crap. So you had to put the sugar in so it tastes good. And now we have an entire industry, 75% of the food products or food like products have sugar in them. Food like. <laughs> yeah, like I like that. Yeah. Food. Well, they're, you know, aren't they made to look like something you would try and make from scratch, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it comes from a bag or a box or can or something like that. And uh, it's not real food. It's a processed, I, don't, I stopped short of saying chemical, but it is. I mean, there are traces of wheat or something, in there, but it's pretty, you know, pretty processed. Yeah, put it that way. Where do you see the health system going with, I mean, it's, it's for sure going to crash and it's for sure going to, I think people are waking up and it's, it's one of the, you know, there's been so much stuff that's changed in the last 20 years. And I feel like health has been this, really obviously established 
uh, infrastructure that's just outdated and, and old and needs to be, you know, transformed. I think it's happening, starting to happen now already. Uh, but where do you see it going in the next, I don't know, 10, 20 years? I love that question. And I ask it all the time when I'm on my summits and stuff. And when I talk with people, I, I do love that question. And I don't think anyone's ever turned it around on me. So I appreciate well, that. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, uh, I'm an optimist and and a Black Swan fan. You know what that is, Black Swan? Uh, the movie. I've seen the movie. Yeah, no, that's different. Black Swan <laughs> is uh, I can't even pronounce the guy's name, but it's the the, the short the, the short version is that a Black Swan event is something that uh, like stock market crashes and these kinds of things mm, that people yeah, think yeah. think that they can predict or things that happen like. Donald Trump gets elected president, you know, right, right. You know things that are uh, no one could probably have predicted years before, but they happen and you got to deal with them. And that a great majority of things in life are a black swan event. And so I'm an optimist that I believe that the grass move, grassroots movement that I just want to be a foot soldier in uh, to help get the message out is going to overtake it. And I don't know how and when, like, in the tobacco industry, I can tell you the event. And the event was the litigation. Okay. So in the litigation of the states versus the tobacco companies, they had a trillion dollar advertising campaign. Like a wow. trillion dollars was spent. No, it really wasn't. Nobody spent the trillion. It was the news media giving the attention to this, right? Mm. So the trillion dollars was spent by the news companies keeping this in everyone's face. And the percentage of smokers in the United States went from like the 40s to the to under 14% wow. in about a seven or 10 year period. And so it's like, really, this is happening now in a real lower kind of grassroots level with sugar and processed mm -hmm. foods. And the things that we've been talking about for this whole podcast are, are happening. It's just when is the tipping point? When's the black swan event? When is the, when is all of a sudden, it just like everybody's thinking and talking about it. Like, like back in my days, but you know, you could smoke in the back of planes. You could smoke in the back of air yeah. of buses. You could smoke Remember in the public, uh, camel in, points. Remember yeah. those? Or, uh, yeah. The Marlboro points where you could yeah, collect. Yeah. Points. yeah. You could smoke in bars. You know, you couldn't go to a bar. You, wait, you come back, your shirts are all smelly in every bar, yeah. in every bar. There's, there wasn't a bar that had no smoking that didn't exist. Yeah. And so, now, the, even the people that sit, stand outside the office building are kind of pariahs. They're like people. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> same thing with seatbelts. I mean, they literally float into stuff like, well, what if you go into a lake with your seatbelt on? You know, like people were so resistant to it. Right. And so I believe this is a tectonic shift in societal norms. Right. Uh, like smoking in public places, uh, drinking and driving. When I was a kid, just don't get caught was the mantra, really. I mean. You know, they did. It wasn't like now you drink and drive like everybody hates you. You yeah. get into a car without your seatbelt, your eight year old's going to say, Dad, put your seatbelt on, you know. And now, so this is going to happen with sugar, and this is going to happen whether you we like it or not, whether the food companies like it or not. I just don't know when it's going to happen mm. and how fast it's going to happen when it starts to really build momentum. And I think podcasts like this are things that help uh, speed it up. Right? Yeah. And uh, the great 
pioneers, uh, the Robert Lustigs and the Gary Tobbs and these kind of guys who write books and, and do research are, are going a long ways to help that. That's exciting for sure. I mean, uh, the next couple of years is going to be some crazy stuff, you know, either way, it's so many things that are happening with health innovations and, sure. um, you know, just everything. I think the power to control your health is more than ever. And, you know, it's, it's insane. I mean, even my mom, I can, she got this continuous glucose monitor and she, she's had diabetes for, for a while now because, you know, mm. her diet, it's completely reversible, but it's mostly a choice thing. And, but just having, you know, to, to, to speak to your point, she was never the type to like, you know, overanalyze what she eats, you know, because, you know, she grew up in the old country, whatever, we just eat what, what tastes good, you know? And so mm-hmm. you, when you go to the store, you don't look at the back of the you know, box, you look at how it looks and if it looks good you know, on the marketing, then okay, great, then eat it. You know, So right, right, right. that kind of attitude doesn't work here because everything is processed to hell. So uh, unfortunately, you know, it leads to, to consequences. And so she got this continuous glucose monitor and just that little simple piece of technology. Now, suddenly she's like, oh my God, did you know that, you know, rice <laughs> does this to my I'm so happy sugar. to hear that. You know, so it's, it's really interesting to see that, you know, and she's like 70 something, you know, so uh, it's interesting to see what this new generation is going to, because Every, every new generation is quicker with the technology and everything. So sure. it's exciting. Well, I'm happy for your mom. That's great. I, yeah, I me too. That's, that's going to be a, and you can get one. I mean, most insurance, you get it for free. You just say I'm pre-diabetic yeah. and 80% of the population is. So you can get it for, you know, don't have to even pay for it. Yeah. I think Medicare paid for hers. So right. yeah. Well, anything coming up with you that's exciting? And when's your uh, event, the Quick Sh- Quit Sugar Summit? When is that? It's at? in January this year. Oh, wow. And uh, okay. we're looking, really looking forward to it. And, uh, cool. and we're going to have some really cool people, Dr. Gorn and Nicole Lavina. And who else we got? We got a bunch of, we got Judy Collins, the famous singer. I don't know if you don't remember that name. Oh, sounds familiar. She, yeah. Yeah. She wants to, she's about 80 now, but she's very famous. Your mom would definitely know her. Um, and, she wrote a book about this because she's recovering and stuff from sugar addiction, flour and stuff. Wow. And so he wants this to be part of her legacy. I mean, she's got a lot of music out there, but, um, and a whole bunch of other pretty famous folks. So yeah, we're excited about it. And, uh, it's just quitsugarsummit.com. You can just leave your email. We'll tell you when it is, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. A few years back, it was kind of scary, but now we have so much science and some people who are like Dr. Lustig went back to get a law degree in his 50 just to affect policy. Wow. Right? You know, cause he's just, he's got a book coming out called metabolic, which is, you know, metabolic syndrome, kind of all the effects of sugar. So there's a lot of stuff out there, you know, and it's just kind of underground still because the mainstream media has uh, a lot of accounts still with, sugar producers and cereal producers. And so it's hard to, they don't get as much airtime. So a lot of it's online now, their, their information. I'm curious how much uh, of, you know, advertising dollars come from sugar companies. Oh my goodness gracious. I, that's a great question. I should look, I should know that. Right. I should know the answer to that. I do know. I think it's like $9 billion on, uh, on just Halloween weekend, Halloween weeks or something. Wow is spent and not advertising. That's the actual product. <laughs> so I Valentine's don't know. Day too, I bet. Yeah, Valentine's Day. Candies. 
Yeah, yeah. So, and it's weird that these cool, cool holidays got hijacked by, by sugar people. <laughs> you know, it's not about love anymore. It's not about Thanksgiving anymore. It's not about. Uh, yeah, love is sugar. <laughs> yeah, love is. Well, my mother believed that. A lot of people, a lot of people believe that. Hmm. You know that 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 that's what the main fight when we were my kids were young was that. Um. You know, we thought they thought we were depriving them of childhood, some some wonderful childhood experiences, and and I didn't see it that way. They they don't see it this way that way as adults either. So interesting. Yeah, yeah you know, even linguistically, I just thought about it. We associate like when somebody does something. Oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, like that's we associate that to sugar and sweetness, like the actual flavor, which is interesting. That's replete in the in the language. It's it's everything, you know. It's uh, sugar coatings and you know, yeah, <laughs> uh, medicine goes down. Whatever. There's a song. It's 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 hard. You know, I mean, it's hard to sh- turn this battleship around. But I think, like you say, you have grown up. You know that um, it wasn't until Candy Lightner and Mothers Against Drunk Driving came along where we, people just got mad. That's yeah. enough, enough. And sing with cigarettes, same thing, you know. They used to have doctors advertise it on TV and stuff. I doctor, remember, yeah. Doctor, what time of cigarettes do you smoke, you know? So that's going to happen. It's just when, how long will it take, you know, that kind of thing. One day we'll look back and, and smile, just like we look back at those World War II ads of the doctors with the recommending cigarettes. And <laughs> I, I think so. I really believe that. I mean, the sugar-sweetened beverage industry has already taken a big hit. Yeah. People like really like down for four or five years in a row, like down, down, you know, going down the wrong way. And water sales way up. So people are replacing their sugar-sweetened beverages. But Hasn't much changed in the candy department yet. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know when it will all happen. I hope it's soon, but I have a feeling it's going to take some time. Well, what are you most grateful for today? What am I most grateful for today? Yeah. Um, this is going to sound uh, like um, kissing butt or something, but my gratitude list that I use every day, I, yeah. I, I, it changed my life. I'm not kidding. Um, in a lot of ways, gratitude is a practice that you've mentioned several times. It's a, it's not a one and done. It's something people would find it very difficult if they never had a gratitude practice like I did, uh, to try and name at the end of the day before your head hits the pillow, uh, five or 10 things that you're grateful for in that day, especially if it wasn't a great day, but they're always there. They're always there. So a gratitude practice is what I'm grateful for. And I don't know, like I said, this, I'm not trying to be like facetious in any way, but I'm very genuine about that. No, yeah. I mean, I 100% right back at you. I mean, I I try to do that every day. It's like, like you said, not every day is going to be, you know, the best day, but there are always things to see, you know, that uh, that are inspiring, that you learned from, that, that were things that were given to you freely that you didn't notice, you know. I mean, there's mm-hmm. always something. Sure. You know. I hope you enjoyed that interview with my friend Michael. You know, sugar is the biggest enemy, one of the biggest at least, to your quest for optimal health. 
And it's one of those that you have to control and limit as much as possible because it will impact absolutely every aspect of your health, from your oral health to your gut microbiome to your inflammation, your heart health. I mean, everything. So it's very important because it is everywhere also. And we are sort of trained to eat sugar all the time with the things that we put into our body and you know, all the foods now have just sugar just out for the hell of it. So it's one of those things that it's a real journey to detox from. So I hope this episode has empowered you with some tools. Make sure you go check out sugaraddiction.com or the Quit Sugar Summit if that's something uh, that you want to do. And don't forget about Michael's book, The Last Resort Sugar Detox Guide. And I'm going to put a link for that on the podcast page. You can go check it out at danceoflife.com slash podcast. As always, if you enjoyed today's show, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends or anybody who you think needs to hear this message today about detoxing from sugar, which I think is everybody. That's that's about right. Let's not forget our inspirational quote from Marianne Williamson. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. That quote's actually much longer, but those are the first two lines that are really good. You know, sugar is a drug. It's one of the hardest things about quitting a drug is that we feel that we aren't strong enough to do it. This is the same for sugar as it is for anything else that is easy to abuse. So the key is to realize that you can do anything you put your mind to. And remember that you have the power and as many tools as possible today between everything on the internet, between your friends, your family, books, so many tools out there to do anything. You have the power. You just have to believe that you do. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have an awesome rest of your Friday. Make sure you tune in on Tuesday for Transformation Tuesday. We're going to do three ways to detoxify your body. So we're kind of keeping that momentum with the detox. I'm going to be interviewing detox expert and health entrepreneur Eileen Durfee on kind of how she started her journey from being a uh, working at a nuclear power plant and having some toxicity issues into now she has a successful company helping people with her inventions, with her products, and educating people on detoxing. It's a very great episode on all things detox and toxins. And there's so many toxins in our life. The more you think about it, the more you want to pull your hair out. But that that is what it is. So make sure you tune in on Friday. It's going to be a lot of great info. Uh, and anybody who in your life you think will benefit from the information, make sure you share it with them because we're going to be talking a lot about different types of toxins, how to test for them, what are some different things you can do, like different interventions like uh, infrared saunas, you know, certain detox, you know, maybe an air purifier, that kind of thing, and what are the value of those are and how to use them effectively. So I'll see you Friday. Hope you enjoy your weekend. And until then, don't forget, your life is a dance. So go out there and dance it well. For more inspiration, free resources, and bonus content, stay connected at danceoflife.com.